Our scripture reading today is from Jeremiah 33, 14 to 16. A very familiar one to most of us, I'm sure. The day will come, says the Lord, when I will do for Israel and Judah all the good things I have promised them. In those days and at that time, I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. In that day, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety, and this will be its name. The Lord is our righteousness. Thanks for that reading, Laura. Anticipation and hope. This is something that uh, some of us are much more familiar with than others. Some of us have a lot of experience with their hope being rewarded immediately. Uh, some of us have a lot more experience with, with waiting, with anxiously waiting, with not getting our hopes fulfilled. So I had a little bit more luck with this uh, pointer over the weekend. And it's still blinking up here. Okay. No. All right. So I'll uh, gesture to my lovely assistant and we'll get it going here. Um, I had a a funny story happen to me on my way back from Puerto Rico. Some of you have have read about it. Um, As I was flying back, I caught a red-eye flight from uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico back to... uh, well, my first uh, destination was Newark, New Jersey. And um, I generally like sitting by the window. I like seeing the plane take off. I like seeing the, the airport disappear into the distance. I like seeing the little spots of light along the way as you're getting closer. And I don't mind confined spaces. I'm, I'm generally fine with that. Well, the, the flight left at about 2 a.m. From, uh, from San Juan, and I got there at, at, at about 11 o'clock. And once I got through customs, I went to the bathroom, and I, th- I thought I was fine. And uh, I got to my seat, and I had a whole bunch of extra stuff with me. Uh, my bag was a little bit heavy. I'd bought a few souvenirs, and so I had to kind of take a few heavier things out, and I was carrying them on my lap. And I had my uh, sweater on because it was going to be colder where I arrived than where I left. And I kind of settled in, and very soon after takeoff, then everything got quiet and dark as we were going to kind of finish this flight. Now, um, when you sit by the window, that means two people have to move when you need to go to the bathroom or whatever. And uh, more than I'm afraid of anything, I hate inconveniencing people. You can't avoid it, obviously, in this life, but I I really hate doing that. So I was going to sit there. Um, And I thought, oh, I sort of maybe need to go to the bathroom, but no, I'm going to overcome this. No big deal. Not a problem. So uh, I thought I had sort of won that kind of mental victory over my body. And I was uh, settled in, and all of a sudden it just... I had to move. I I had to do something. I was feeling an urge to get up and run around and stretch my arms and stretch my legs. And I couldn't. Obviously, I I couldn't. Uh, So I I took my sweater off. I took my shoes off just to sort of feel a little bit more freedom. Uh, There was no more freedom, but at least 
It felt like maybe there was. And the more I, I thought about how confined I was, the more anxious I felt about it. And the person beside me um, was, was maybe a little bit bigger than, than the other passengers, and so that was kind of taking away my space. Uh, but they were sleeping, or it seemed that way. I wasn't going to wake them up. It was three in the morning at this point. And I looked out. There was nothing to see out the window, just the Atlantic Ocean. And I... I was looking around like, what can I do? I felt like I needed to run up and down the aisles. And I was looking around thinking, all of us are just sitting here. Nobody's complaining about the space. Nobody is feeling like they're being burdened here. What, what is this that we always do? We just agree to sit nicely beside each other somehow. And I kept thinking, I tried to get it out of my mind. I tried to calm down. And each minute, I thought, okay, I can do this. It'll, this will be also mind over matter. I'll just, I'll look out the window. Oh, yeah, there's nothing to see out the window. Okay, I'll look. No, no that's not helping. I'll look at my books. I'll, I couldn't. I just, I was sitting there and sitting there. And, and I could make it work minute by minute, but it was a four-hour flight. Well, um, eventually, the person at the aisle seat got up to go to the bathroom. And uh, that at least... The, then the person beside me was at least awake, uh, and I thought, okay, this is the only chance that I have. So I had to. So I went up. At least this is an excuse to move around. I don't know how I'm going to get myself back into my confined space over there. Well, by the time I was done, I came back, and all of a sudden, the psychological problems that I had suddenly discovered were gone. I could sit comfortably and uh, almost uh, got some sleep the rest of the way. But in that moment, I had felt anxiousness like I had never felt before. I had never felt like I needed to push people out of the way. I'd never felt like I needed to run screaming like I did then. And I know other people have talked about that, so I, I recognized uh, the, the symptoms of claustrophobia within me. But there was something about that space that I was feeling hope, but hope felt pretty far away. It just seemed like it was beyond me, that I wasn't going to be able to continue to win this battle minute by minute. Well, I don't want to just talk about my own kind of uh, traveling experience. I want to talk about what life was like there as well. Um, is that where we... Okay. Um, so I, I got a collection of pictures together, so I'll uh, kind of go through some of them. Um, I think somehow I... It's, it's at the end of the slideshow there, Rick. Oh, let's try that again. Like, I could keep talking, but I want you guys to, to see, the, <clears throat> see the pictures. Okay, so um, here we go. That's better. So this is, uh, this is a verse f that was part of the Advent readings for today. Um, and it's an excerpt of a conversation that Jesus has uh, with his followers and he's, he's challenging them. They're looking for, uh, <clears throat> there are people around him who want miracles, who want uh, powerful shows of strength, uh, spiritual strength, miraculous healings. They want to see power. And, and he challenges them, and he gives them uh, this word, which isn't really much of an encouragement. Stay alert at all times, praying that you are strong enough to escape everything that is about to happen and to stand before the human one. 
If you're looking for reassurance, this verse isn't going to give it to you. Uh, this, this verse is, is maybe going to help somebody else, but not you, right? You want to know that things will get better. But, but maybe they won't. Um, so this is, and they won't, they won't all turn out very well. I took them on my phone and uh, kind of there are limitations that way. But um, this is a church that was, that was meeting there and it more or less been kind of fixed up. Uh, but there's a, the blue tarp that you can see there. That's, that's a tarp that came from Samaritan's Purse. Uh, they do a lot of relief work around the world. And these, these tarps, wherever there are uh, problems in the world, you'll see these, these tarps. Uh, I have a couple of friends who work for, for Samaritan's Purse, and I showed them this picture. I said, hey, just you guys are working in Calgary, but look, your tarps are everywhere. They're like, yeah, we, we get those updates all the time. We, we know. It's, it's old news to them. Uh, but that tarp was over top of the, the lunchroom where, where I met with the other volunteer workers. That tarp uh, covered up a worship space. There was a there was a church building in this area that had been destroyed by the, by the hurricane. Um, that church building is going to be completed in January and February. So if you want to um, do some roofing work uh, in a warm climate, uh, give MDS a call. They've, they've still got room for some people. Uh, but in the meantime, the church was meeting here underneath uh, the space there. And the people who were, who were gathering there, they had all experienced this, this hurricane, right? They had all had to become familiar with Jesus' words here to be alert at all times. They could all tell stories of, of what, it was, what it was like when the storm came. Uh, the family that lived in the house there, um, they had... They had been kind of indoors. They'd heard that a hurricane was coming, but somehow, I'm not sure exactly the details, but they didn't know how bad it was going to be. Everybody has TVs there, just like here. Uh, they're constantly, they were constantly on. People were watching them all the time, but somehow they just didn't get communicated that this was a historically strong hurricane. So they were in their house, and they didn't know how bad it was. Um, they had a, there was another woman from, from their extended family. Her house was a little ways down, uh, and it became pretty clear to her that her house wasn't going to survive, and she probably wouldn't either if she stayed there. So she ran from one house to the next. All she could see was debris flying through. Uh, she ran not knowing if she would get there or not, told them how bad things were. They all climbed underneath the house into sort of a, a cellar space, uh, a cold storage area for some of their food. Um, there's enough room for, for food there, but they had six or seven people sheltered up there. Um, they say that one of the boys in the family still has uh, PTSD from, from the severity of, of that storm. So these people understood hope. They sat in that, uh, that space, that, that cellar, for hours and hours as this storm, the biggest of their lives, the biggest in the history of, of Puerto Rico, uh, <clears throat> just destroyed everything. And they didn't know. They didn't know how long the storm would last. They didn't know if they would survive or if when they got out of that hole, what would be left of their homes and their church and uh, the farm that was all around them that they drew a livelihood from. So as they sat there, they needed hope. And uh, the, the pastor of the church was, was uh, part of the extended family, and so she was with them, and she prayed, and they sang, and 
um, it, it got them through, um, but she spoke to the, the pastor about the difficulty of having to reassure these people when she herself had, had lost almost everything and uh, how hard it was for her to hold on to hope for herself, let alone to, to share it with others. Um, so I wanted to show a bit of a picture of the kind of work that we were doing. So this is a cinder block wall that we had put up. You can see there's all sorts of rebar pointing out from the top of it. Uh, so this, it was going to be a cement building. Uh, they put uh, cinder blocks everywhere and then rebar into the top, and then we poured cement into the columns that were formed by the bricks. And then we would put uh, wooden forms around the edges and corners that we would pour uh, concrete into. So when we got there, the bricks had already been put up. Uh, so then a big part of what I was doing, I, I put up the scaffolding around the outside, and then somebody would mix concrete, and then we'd have to bring the buckets one by one uh, to lift up as they dumped it into the, into the columns. So sometimes, and a lot of MDS people will tell you this, you look around and you see despair. You look at people whose homes are destroyed, livelihoods are gone, and all you can do is swing a hammer, and all you can do is uh, dump concrete into a, into a hole until the hole is full. And uh, we didn't have, uh, I didn't have enough language that I could speak directly to the people that were around us. Um, and even if I did, I'm, you know, it, my words would have felt pretty empty. Uh, but the man who's, who's in this picture, he, he was uh, in charge. This was his property. Um, and the way that the, the real estate situation generally works there, especially in the rural areas, is that there would be a, a patriarch, a father or grandfather who would own a bunch of land, uh, he would live in the nicest house, and then somewhere on his property, then there would be a house for his, his children, a house for his, his in-laws, a house for his own parents, uh, a house for uh, the different children as they would age and come back from, from traveling and studying and whatever. And so this was, was uh, his, his property, but this wasn't a house he was going to live in. Uh, and he was a farmer. He, he had banana trees and orange trees and avocado trees all around us, uh, many of them uh, destroyed or at least kind of temporarily uh, fruitless as they were recovering from the storm. And so he had extra time. He couldn't uh, work as hard on the farm as he had before. And so here he was making sure that everyone in his family had a house. Uh, and this was the kind of guy he was. He was 75 years old. Um, he knew everything that needed to be done. Um, and uh, w when it's an MDS official build, uh, then they build to their standards, their international standards of how to build something so it survives hurricane winds and, and whatever. Um, but this was, was his build, so we were building to his specifications. Uh, and so then he would tell us what needed to be done, and we would go to him sometimes with, with a phone with our Google Translate, and we would have to kind of go back and forth that way to get the instructions. And we just worked alongside of each other. Um, and they appreciated how, how hard we worked, and, uh, and we appreciated the hospitality. There was a, a, one little time, a funny story I'll tell. Um, I don't swing a lot of hammers in my uh, 9 to 5, Monday to Friday work, as, as some of you might guess. Um, but I've done it before. I, I'm not completely useless. And so when I got there, I was uh, putting the scaffolding in and... Uh, it happened that I, 
I missed and, and I hit my thumb instead of the nail. And it didn't really hurt, but there was one of the Puerto Rican guys was, was right beside me. So he explained to me that if you tap it four times, and then he counted out carefully, one, two, three, four, then it's in far enough, and then you can move your hand out of the way and everything. I'm like, okay, my dad told me this when I was eight. I'm fine. I don't need this. But whatever. You, this guy's being friendly, gracious, uh, doesn't want me to get hurt. So I nodded, and then whenever he was around after that, I would carefully count out four um, well, a little bit later, we were working, and then one of the other Puerto Rican guys was there, um, and then he was hammering, and he hit his thumb. Um, and then so the guy who had given me the careful instructions then gave the same instructions to this other guy, but sarcastically. Um, and then the other guy um, received the advice a little less graciously than I did. Um, it was kind of a funny little moment to observe. Uh, but we were, we were working, and... Uh, working alongside each other, not able to communicate a lot, uh, but there's a, there's a closeness that develops as you, as you work beside people. Um, they knew, they couldn't really tell us their whole stories, and uh, they didn't know our whole stories, they just knew that we were there to help, and uh, it was, there was a kind of a, a relationship that I thought developed through that. Um, this doesn't really uh, capture the, the beauty, and none of the pictures that I, that I did could. Um, we stayed in a little cabin-type uh, thing uh, connected to the church building that was going up, and uh, it, was, it was up high on a, on a, not really a mountain, but kind of on the ridge of a hill, and when you looked out every morning, uh, here was, there was a, a cloud had kind of settled over the valley. And uh, it was this beautifully peaceful spot. Then you waited a little bit longer, and then the trucks were driving by, and it just got louder and more chaotic. But you could see for, for miles and miles. And uh, it's, it was sort of the rainy season there, so we were working. Uh, we would start working at 8 in the morning, and uh, a lot of times in the distance you could see new clouds were coming up. Okay, now it's raining over there. Okay, now it's raining a little bit closer. Okay, now it's raining a little bit closer. Okay, here's the rain. Um, and, well, is it going to stop raining? Well, it looks like it's still raining over there. Looks like it's, okay, we're going to be here for a while. So it happened more than once that it would start raining at around 11, 11.30. Uh, we would break for lunch, and it was still raining. And then a couple of the local guys went home because if it's still raining, they got stuff to do at home. Um, and it would rain and rain, and, and then, okay, we're done for the day, just go back to whatever. And then it's three o'clock, and it's sunny and bright again, and we can't do anything because the, the people who are telling us what to do weren't there. But it, it, was, a, it was a parallel to, to this uh, passage from, from Jesus, where uh, there's, there's, there will be signs of, of what is to come. Uh, people are, are waiting for a sign, and this is what Jesus tells them, uh, that we are always to be alert. And when you're working on the, the crest of a hill, you can be alert. You can see the storms coming. And uh, when, when we would look in the horizon, we, we could tell what the weather was going to be for a little while. And if we were hoping for sun, we could see. There were times we could see the sun. Okay, it'll, it's coming. It'll, uh, it'll let up. 
But from the same location, uh, I was standing with with the homeowner one time, and he pointed down into the valley, uh, and there was a big pile of garbage. Uh, At least that's what I had noticed or had kind of thought it was before. And, you know, there was uh, garbage laying around more than than what we would think was normal for here. Uh, But this pile of garbage farther down the valley had a lot of tin and uh, corrugated uh, roofing, and he pointed down to it, and his, his Spanish was, or his English was, was worse than my Spanish. Um, but he, so all he, would, all he said is he pointed down and he said, Maria. And he wasn't, uh, he wasn't making a spiritual statement. Um, he was saying, Hurricane Maria blew that down there. Right? That was the roof of his home. Those were the walls that he had uh, put up. That was Maria. Uh, and so from there... Uh, there was sort of the, the, two, the, the two-edged sword of being alert. We could see what was coming, but we, had, we could also see what had come before. And so, that, and so part of me said, yeah, then just clean it up. Then you don't have that reminder. Then you don't have that uh, you know, sickening feeling of, of everything you lost. Uh, but there seemed to be an important reminder there. That there was, there was a reason to be alert. There was a reason to pay attention. Uh, so this is, this is a, another view of the same house kind of uh, zoomed out. And uh, it, it, was, it was interesting to watch the, uh, the homeowner. He, he kept saying over, he had clear instructions of how everything should be. And it was especially powerful to think that this wasn't going to be his house. His house was already completed somewhere else, uh, and this was going to be the home where his uh, sister-in-law would stay. And uh, she, was, she was older and not married and uh, didn't have enough money for her own house in, in town, and uh, of course he would put up a house for her. Of course he would. <clears throat> but what's, what's interesting about this house is that there was, there was emergency aid money uh, for people whose homes were destroyed. And so that aid money went to put up certain buildings, including the homeowner here. Um, but this house was paid for with MDS money. Now, MDS steps in to, to give people relief where there isn't enough, when people don't have enough money and they don't have enough insurance. Well, when the, when the hurricane hit, this house was in the midst of being built. And it was almost done, but it wasn't completely done. But the, uh, the FEMA policy was that the home had to be completely built if you were going to, going to get aid money. And I understand, you have to draw a line somewhere. Uh, some people are going to get it and some people aren't. But here was this home that he was building for his sister-in-law, and then the hurricane came, destroyed all of the work that they had done, and then they weren't eligible for, for aid money. And so here's this man taking care of other people, and then Maria came, and, and that was the end of the story of, of that house. Um, next slide there, Rick. So this is uh, one of the iconic uh, guard towers of, of San Juan. While I was there, uh, so it's, it's an American territory. You spend American money. Uh, your American cell phone plan will be valid there. 
um, all of that uh, is, is easy and convenient. When I, uh, I ate at a restaurant and in my change I got a little quarter and uh, the, the U.S. Mint, they print different things on the quarter, sometimes for, for different states. Well, I got a Puerto Rico quarter. It's, it's U.S. currency, but it says Puerto Rico on it and it has the symbol of this guard tower there. I was walking around old San Juan and there was a plaque that talked about a battle that had happened. And um, the, the stat, there was a statue with it. It wasn't that nice. It was pretty old, and so I didn't take a picture of that. Um, but it talked about how, at one point, a, a Dutch a fleet of ships had come in, and uh, they had been attacking. They had been shooting uh, whatever. Uh, there's all sorts of details there. I didn't write them all down. Um, and they had come on shore, and they were fighting with the Spanish soldiers, and uh, hundreds and hundreds of them had died. And the plaque went on to say that um, also the villagers from different parts of Puerto Rico had come in to give help to the Spanish soldiers. And this was important because this, at one point, was a Spanish colony. That this was a piece of land that the country of Spain had taken a claim of, and all of the people who lived there were then now subjects of the Spanish throne. But uh, the soldiers who were there were from Spain, not from Puerto Rico, because this was Spanish territory. And so they mentioned that the Puerto Ricans joined in the fight because it demonstrated loyalty, voluntary loyalty that they were willing to participate. Now, this is historically significant for, for the story of this island, uh, but when I was talking to, um, there, was a, there was a professor there who explained to me some aspects of Puerto Rican culture. Uh, so then I asked her, so in this plaque, the, the Puerto Rican villagers, who were they? Were they uh, the historic uh, ancestral tribes who, who settled Puerto Rico thousands of years ago? Um, was it the slaves that were brought from Africa to Puerto Rico to work on the farms and plantations? Was it Spanish people who came and kind of intermingled and intermarried within uh, those people? And she said, yes. It was all three of those. Uh, Puerto Rico is, is a mix of all three of those peoples who came from different parts, claimed identity, and uh, there were problems. There were sometimes some people thought they were better than the others. But this is the story of who Puerto Rico is. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful blend of people from different parts of the world, uh, but they've never really been able to be their own people. And so this is a guard tower where somebody would stand uh, watching the shore in anticipation of an attack. So here, too, somebody would have to watch and be ready and be alert at all times. Uh, but who was it? Who benefited from that? Um, <clears throat> they explained the political situation in, in Puerto Rico uh, to, to those of us who paid attention, and even when you did pay attention, it didn't completely make sense. Um, but they said that there are basically three political parties in, in Puerto Rico, um, and it's kind of been this way for a long time. The people that are in power now 
are the ones who sort of want the status quo. They're okay to be a territory of, of the U.S. Um, they like things the way that they are, and they try to make things better, but it's sort of okay the way that it is. There's another party that wants uh, complete independence. They want Puerto Rico to be its own country, just like so many others in the Caribbean, and they want their independence and strength and dignity as a people that way. And then there are other people who say they want statehood. They want Puerto Rico to be the 51st state, and that'll bump them up to have power and influence the way that they should as citizens of the United States. Now, this is a you know, p political thing you might get on, uh, on the news, but I think it speaks to their identity of, of who they are. They can't really claim their own sovereignty as, as a nation. Uh, they can't really claim their own identity as a people because they are subjects to something else. And so the status quo seems to be kind of in trouble among some of the people who are there. So what are they going to be? Are they going to go out on their own and, and have power that way? Are they going to try to rise up within their American status? That's, that's going to be played out uh, in the next little while, I'm sure. But it, there's, there's a lot of anticipation and hope as, as a people uh, in that story as, as well. So then looking at uh, this passage here from Jeremiah. Uh, I don't spend as much time uh, reading the prophets uh, from the Old Testament as, as other people do. Uh, but they are uh, they're an interesting piece of, of literature when we're thinking about the identity of who Israel is. Uh, at, at this time in Israel's history, the glory days were well behind them, right? The glory days of King David and, and them being stronger than their, than their neighbors, that had long been forgotten. Uh, Jeremiah came at a time when Israel had already lost their independence more than once. Uh, they had been attacked and defeated by the Assyrians. They had been attacked and defeated again. And they couldn't be their own people. They couldn't be their own nation. They were subjects to outside forces. And so the people of Israel are crying out. They want redemption. They want rescue. They want someone to receive them as, as a full uh, and full and independent people. And so this is the context of Jeremiah's words. In those days at that time, some point in the future that, that Jeremiah is writing about here. I will rise up a righteous branch from David's line. Somewhere amidst our defeated people, Jeremiah is saying, God will raise up a righteous branch, a strong branch, and then we will again be strong and united. We will be a good people. Um, this was uh, an interesting statue that I found in the city square of, of the town where we had been building. Um, so we were building uh, places that were out in the country. The, the city was, was okay. They had had a, a, a significant bridge wash out. And, and so for six months, uh, the people who were living on the other side of the bridge had to kind of walk down into the valley and then up back up to get the groceries and to get everything that they needed because the, the road bridge had been washed out. Uh, but this statue was there, 
And uh, I would love to have been able to sit down and talk to some of the local people about what this statue meant to them. Uh, this is a statue of Don Alonso Manso. He was the first uh, Aboriginal convert to Christianity, the first Puerto Rican Catholic bishop. And uh, the picture shows him holding a cross and uh, wearing uh, native clothing. And if this was an art history class, we could talk about the significance of, of the mix of images. We could talk about what posture is he taking? Is he uh, revering the power of the cross or is, in, or is he fearful of it? Um, is he uh, in an act of worship uh, or is he uh, subjugated? Is he, he, his knees are bent. Is he bowing uh, out of worship or is he bowing uh, out of uh, subjugation of powerful forces. All of that seems to be mixed in, and I could have stayed and looked at that for a while longer, but the group I was in wanted to keep moving. This is a man who's looking for redemption and rescue. This is the, this is the story of, of Puerto Rico as well. And um, <clears throat> this, is, this is the story of a lot of uh, Aboriginal people when they uh, have uh, their land and their culture and religion taken from them, uh, that they are looking for rescue, and they find more hope in the words of Jeremiah than some of us do. Because what are we looking for hope for, for as Canadians? We have things relatively good and stable. Uh, but when you have things taken away from you, like the people of Israel, like the people of Puerto Rico, then all of a sudden you need hope, Right? Then all of a sudden, then you can identify with the words of, of Jeremiah. Uh, this, this picture was, uh, it, we, I took this on the Thursday. We were there for a week. This was one of the days that I talked about where it rained uh, all afternoon, and then we stopped. Uh, we, I had kind of laid down for a little bit. I was doing some reading. And then we were going to get up and go for a drive, and we looked over from our cabin, and here was the house that we were working on, uh, right at the end of a rainbow. And I thought, that's too, too symbolic for me to not take a picture. Uh, we all need hope in, in so many ways. The, the story of, of Israel is historically significant for, for them as, uh, as a people. Uh, the story of their being taken into captivity and then being rescued uh, down the road it's, it's spiritually significant because it tells the story of, of Jesus speaking hope into a troubled time. Uh, but it's, it's significant for us as well. That all of us will find a time where we need hope. And it isn't always easy to, uh, to reassure people that their hope will be rewarded. Just like I wouldn't have known exactly what to say to the people whose homes were destroyed in Puerto Rico, uh, I, I, even as a pastor, have difficulty finding the right words to say to people around me who don't have hope. Um, there are people who try to offer me hope from time to time, and I know that their, their hearts are in the right place, and I know that uh, they're speaking about a hope that they have or that they've found. But oftentimes, it doesn't communicate hope. 
But that's sort of the nature of hope as well, that this is not something that's going to be immediately resolved. This isn't something that uh, we just hope for something. Oh, there it is. Oh, good. Okay, no more, no more hoping. Hope is something that we hold on to. Hope is something that is resolved gradually. Hope is something that we settle in for. This is going to be a long time. So within the church calendar, First Advent is a Sunday of hope. This is a time where we look towards Jesus coming to rescue us. Of course, Jesus has already come. Of course, the rescue has already taken place. But in our current difficulties, in our current relationships and illnesses, there is still hope of, of rescue. Um, I can tell more stories about the construction that we did, about the people that I met in Puerto Rico. I'm happy to, to tell those stories, but I wanted to use that as, uh, as, a, as a symbol of, of hope. That the people that I met there, they were people of hope, despite everything that had happened to them. Um, but, but perhaps because of what happened to them, they were hoping for something better. Um, there was somebody that I was uh, driving with, and they speculated, uh, you know, in some ways it, it's, it's a little bit too bad, and, and they said this carefully because obviously people died, um, but it's almost too bad it, the storm wasn't a little bit worse um, because if it had, if it had been worse, it would have destroyed all of the infrastructure. Then they would have had to rebuild it completely um, instead of patching here and patching there which is sort of what they've had to do, and that's the only thing they've been able to do. But sometimes, uh, and that felt like a metaphor for me when they said that, uh, sometimes we are just strong enough to fight off the storm that we need. Sometimes we've patched together our life in so many places well enough uh, that we can withstand the small storms that come. And so then we're hoping for one more patch. But hope for a patch isn't what we need. And so sometimes Christ is the rescue. Sometimes Christ is the, uh, is, is the patch that fixes our problem. But sometimes Christ is the storm that destroys the weak infrastructure, that, that removes all of the stuff that isn't working so that you need to rebuild, so that you can again lean on something good and healthy and whole. That's, what, that's the way that Christ is the storm in our lives. It wipes away everything that doesn't work so that we can rebuild it with his help. So as we turn to the horizon, as we turn to see where our hope comes from, let us put our hope in Christ so that we can be rebuilt so that we can lean on his strength and not our own anymore. Amen.